Welcome to episode 321 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I'm Steve Garshinsky. I'm filling in for James this week, who is in uh, warmer locations. Guys, yeah, he's, he's you know? warm. He's very warm. Somewhere warmer. Yes. yes. Somewhere much warmer. What is it? Like a pre-wedding getaway, I think. Something like that. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. He's I, I think it's just like happy to be in warm conditions he's got plenty of reasons to celebrate so he is he in does. a warmer location yeah even even warmer than arizona at this time of year so uh like i said i'm steve Arshinsky. with me is uh ryan top ryan how you doing i'm doing good talking to my mom who got scammed and so we're working her way through that so yep fun time and then we hit and then, obviously, Paul Noonan is here uh, with his uh, sick tales of woe. I'm doing um, bad again this week. Yeah, you're doing. Well, you're doing okay. The way the way that you told us that you weren't uh, feeling 100 percent made it seem like it was going to be a lot worse than when you popped up on this video call. Well, it's uh, I, I whipped it together for this, but it won't last. And um, it was it was a rough weekend. So um, it's uh, I'm glad to be in my house again more than anything. There you go. That's that's the way to do it. Hey, uh, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Don't forget, two bucks a month guarantees you uh, question priority for the podcast and reporting is eligible. Well, five bucks gets you that question priority plus additional exclusive content, including the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire, which with the uh, current Brewers Farm Club rankings is a fun one to have right now. Right, Ryan? Mm-hmm. we're enjoying it it's uh it's been a lot of fun and the last one which we did put up on here or we put a teaser up for part of it was with ben badler from baseball america uh specifically talking about how great things are now in the international market and things are still looking very good there's uh all kinds of buzz in camp about uh um you rodriguez so that is a uh exciting thing I'm getting very excited about that so i think he might so that he might burst out this year we might see a a real breakout so that's where the money's going, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was uh, that was last week's discussion because of the uh, the Mark Antonazio interview. Okay, yeah, you know it's always following the money, but um, yeah, check that out. And then, Paul, do we have anything coming up for reporting? It's eligible. You're in kind of a slow period here before the draft. Yes, uh, we might do something this week pre combine. Um, depending on availability. One problem is like a lot of the guys are actually going to the combine. So good for, good for that. Um, but uh, if not this week, next week to wrap it up. So we'll at least have a wrap up show. If nothing else, I think you should have, you should have JR read his travel diary. I think from <laughs> JR is still acting beat reporter. So that's the, that's the issue there, but uh, good, good on him for that. Yeah, he he jumped on right at the right time. That's for sure for the the remainder of the season that he got. Yeah. Um, remember, you can also support us uh, by going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, give the podcast a five star review while you're there. Be sure to hit subscribe or the follow button, and to make sure you never miss an episode. And also, if you do leave a five star review, Paul will read whatever you write there. Correct. We haven't done it in a while. We should probably check. But sure, why not? We'll do it next week. <laughs> oh, okay. So you don't have like a, a Google alert or anything like that for when you get a new review? <laughs> Absolutely not, no. Okay, I look so at it five minutes before the show starts sometimes. It is, it is a very manual process. Yes. So 
cut him some slack on that one. Um, okay, the big news out of the first full week of camp was the return of Brandon Woodruff. Guys, did you expect that at all? Um, that was kind of a surprise, right? I did not. Did you? <laughs> I mean, I expected it as a potential thing back in November, and I had sort of it had fallen off my radar uh, at this point. Yeah, I, like I wasn't. It, yeah. it was a surprise in the way it happened. I think we all kind of thought it could happen, but you know, after they non-tendered him back in November, he underwent surgery to repair his anterior capsule in his right shoulder. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Yeah, anterior capsule. I looked. Oh it up. man, I did. That all. That all sounds terrible. So uh, the contract amounts to a two-year deal for $17.5 million to be paid out over the next three years. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit weird. So it's 2.5 this year. It's $5 million in 2025. And then there's a $20 million team. Uh, well, actually, sorry, it's a mutual option with a $10 million buyout. Right. So mutual options never get picked up. We've talked about that many times. Mutual options never get picked up. So you could just sort of assume this is like a two-year deal uh, that's going to pay him $17.5 million, but it, $10 million of it's getting paid in 2026 when he's no yeah. longer on the team, which adds to Reese Hoskins, who's getting $4 million one way or another that year, uh, and f- also almost certainly not on the team. So they've already got 14 million locked up in 2026 into two guys who presumably will not be on the team, or if they are, they won't be on that contract. So it's, uh, yeah. it's interesting. NFL yeah, so, style, yeah. Kicking the uh, down the road. I was just going to say, are they going to be in cap hell in a couple of years? <laughs> yeah. <Packer so>, style. <laughs> the weird thing about this is teams do this, this style of accounting. The main reason that big market teams are doing this right now is they're doing it to uh, potentially get the uh, the uh, not cap hit, but the luxury tax hit to be spread out over more years. So this is yep. a luxury tax avoidance thing. It is, but we we don't have to worry about the luxury tax. The team's like eighty million at least below uh, that point, and isn't going to be getting anywhere near that anytime soon. So it's kind of a weird thing that they're doing. I'm not quite exactly sure why they're doing it, but I think it's just a very very simple. Money in the future is worth less than money in the present accounting principles. I don't think it's more complicated than that. Sure. Yeah, that that does make the most sense. So I guess a big question here, Paul, if you want to go first, are you glad to see Woodruff back with the team? Yeah, I like Woodruff. He's good. He's a he's a by all accounts, a, a great guy, a great clubhouse guy. And um, those are the kinds of guys that you should take shots on when they're coming back from serious injuries because they bring you know, something to the table in terms of uh, adding to clubhouse culture. And he's fun to have on the team. And if he gets all the way back, uh, then he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. So, so much the better. Uh, like, you know, Burns is more of a prickly guy. If if situations were reversed, um, I don't think I'd be, I'd still be fine because he's a good pitcher, but uh, wouldn't be as happy because he's kind of a jerk by all accounts. But what he's not, he's the opposite of this. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad he's back on the team. I hope he can battle through it and at least become halfway decent again. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm stoked to have him back. It didn't cost that much. This is a good, a 100% good signing. So Ryan, is this partly a function of Woodruff was in his final year of arbitration, and if that weren't the case, they would have picked it up. Yeah, I mean that was the whole issue. Was it, it's what they did with Jimmy Nelson? They they worked out a deal and, and did that because he was less into the process. The fact was, is if they had tendered him here, we talked about this back in November, but like if they had tendered him. Well, then he, he would get the full amount of ar- in arbitration this year and then would be a free agent after the year. And that just that doesn't help anybody because 
we're pretty sure Brandon Woodruff isn't going to pitch. And if he does, it'll be very minimal this year. So we're not expecting that he's going to pitch much. So it sort of left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. And that's the big thing here is like, this is a palate cleanser. This is everybody was unhappy about how that thing ended. uh, And this you could tell just like Christian Yelich talking about Woodruff, how much he is beloved in that clubhouse. He seems to be a guy people talk about this all the time, that he's just the, the guy that everything kind of revolves around. Everybody likes Woodruff. I think Kurt and uh, JR were talking about that on the Microbrews podcast about how, you know, it's not just that nobody has a bad thing to say about him. It's that nobody doesn't love him. You, yeah. you just talk to everybody and they just he seems like a genuinely like good guy to have around. So, yeah, this this makes a lot of sense, and hopefully they are able to get something out of it. I think my initial reaction, one of the first things I thought was they must feel good about his prognosis because I don't think the Brewers would necessarily spend $17.5 million for two years of Brandon Woodruff if they thought that he wasn't going to give them much chance of production. I think they feel good about where he's at, and they were able to obviously go in and, and do a physical and they, I presumably they know him that they have such a good track record with him in terms of the length of time he's been with them that they sort of know his routine and what he is. So when he comes in and like throws for them in a, in a session and does that, they have a pretty good idea of, well, does this look right or is something really wrong here? Um, so the fact that they have such a history with him and we're willing to do this, that nudges things forward. I will just say in a, a dynasty baseball league, I had been looking to trade Woodruff uh, to try to win this year. Cause I'm trying to win this year. And once I saw the amount and the, and the situation, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to hold on to him. I'm not going to try to sell him off at this point. I'm just going to hold because it, it just seems like a more positive situation than the, the mystery box we were in before. Yeah. I also, I, I shoulder injuries are all bad, but I don't think this one is, uh, quite as severe as some other ones like Jimmy Nelson's that we've seen in the past. So um, there is that too. There's, there's probably reason for more optimism with Woodruff than there would be like torn labrums and stuff like that. Yeah, Julio Urias, we talked about this when the, we found out about the injury originally because they wrote about it at Fangraphs. Julio Urias had something like this. So granted, it was when he was like 18 years old and Woodruff is you know, considerably older than that. So... But yes, this is something that people have come back from. Yeah. This is a thing that people have come back from, this anterior capsule thing. Yeah. Well, and saying two years is generous. It's kind of one year for rehab and then one year to actually get something out that's, of them. That's a good point, too. We should be clear about that. He, yeah. In all likelihood, will not pitch this year. If he does, it'll be like a cup of coffee on the very back end of the season at best. That's it. That's what you're hoping for, if anything. Yeah. I would, yeah, I would just assume nothing this year. Me too. Me too. Uh, so my ol- only lemonade says Big Woo is back. I thought this was a smart move, both strategically and for a PR bump. Chances are, however, he won't be an impact in 2024, as we were just saying. Instead, we got Freddie at the top of the rotation. Am I crazy to think that he can step into Woodruff's role and be that seven-inning guy? For this team to succeed, I really think we're going to need someone who can regularly give the bullpen a breather. So is Freddie that guy that can start pitching deep into games? And this is purely an audio podcast, and the reactions from you guys, uh, I can already <laughs> tell, are going to be two no's. 
Yeah, uh, I wouldn't plan on it. I mean, anything weird stuff does happen, but I would not plan on that. I would ex- assume status quo for him, which was he's not exactly a five and dive guy, but like six and dive is yep. pretty, six, uh, yeah, pretty common for Freddie, uh, just because he does have big pitch innings. That's the the big thing here is he does have big pitch innings, and also because. They don't they're not going to want to push him because he has had his own slate of injuries that he has dealt with throughout his career. He is uh, he has missed starts uh, sort of most years throughout his career. He what is the, the the max starts he has per year? Go ahead, Paul. Look this up. Oh, um, but I mean, I agree with everything Ryan said. He's it's that's just not his game. Uh, never has been. Never will be. And even if. Even if he, if they tried to push him, it would probably hurt him. Like, there's not a way to generate. It's one of the unfortunate things here is, like, just because they lost two of their sort of horses doesn't mean they automatically have one. Or that it's, like, it's not a step-upable thing. Just because Freddie was number three doesn't mean he's, like, getting opportunity to pitch more than he did before. Not at all the case. He's just not in innings, like, gobbler at all. That's not going to be what he does. So um, it's going to be a problem for this team. They don't really have a guy like that. Maybe they have a couple of young guys who could turn into that. But as of right now, they have lots of five slash six and done guys. The whole team is made up of that. So it's a problem. They could use a, they could use an inning, innings either or two um, stepping up, but I don't see one at the moment. I mean, they could, but there really, there really aren't innings eaters anymore either. I mean, well, when we look at. I mean, we say seven uh, innings. It's I disagree with that. Innings. Like when when the Brewers would like destroy their bullpen for like a week, they could usually count on Burns to go seven and save everybody but two guys and get everybody reset uh, with some regularity. Like he usually did work deep in the games and could be counted on to do that. And nobody's doing that this year. Like there's not a guy who's going to go seven to save the bullpen. That guy's not on the team. So it's a problem. Yeah, but like I was saying, Burns is really the only guy that was efficient like that. Because even Woodruff, for the most part, you'd get around six. He'd have his games where he'd be able to go out there and really shove, and I think go deeper. But Woodruff was the, or uh, I'm sorry, Burns was the only one that was really that efficient. I mean, pitchers going beyond six innings is pretty rare for the Brewers, pretty much across the board. It's become increasingly rare in baseball as a whole. Like, You just don't have there are very few pitchers who pitch 200 innings anymore. And that used to sort of be the benchmark of like competence at one point. Like, oh, you have to have guys who go 200 innings like that was there's sort of a benchmark. And now it's like one. Remember when they invented the quality start because that was a big deal. Like that was just the baseline you had to get to with six innings. Yeah. Now, there's there's a certain amount of truth to that. This situation for them, I think one thing they do have is they have a depth of relief that I think they can deploy um, two or three different guys in their bullpen in that sort of modified Josh Hader. I, Kurt was pointing this out on the Microburst podcast this week, okay, um, that Bryce Wilson was that guy for them last year. He did a really yeah. good job. He would come in uh, and would sort of often be able to go like three innings and really help do that. I think D.L. Hall ends up in the bullpen, and I think this is a thing that D.L. Hall could end up doing. I think that that's that's definitely there. I think Jacob Mizorowski in the second half could end up in this sort of a role, too, because I have, you know, I I don't think he's going to be a a starter. 
I, I have doubts about his ability to start long term, especially this year. I don't see him starting in the big leagues just because they're still building up the innings on him. So I think we, if we see Mizrowski this year, it's probably in that sort of role. And they have other guys too. I mean, uh, uh, McGill did this somewhat too. I think McGill is capable of going, you know, three innings at a shot and then taking, you know, the next three days off and doing this. So I think that's how they can maybe cover some of these innings is by using some relievers a little bit longer. This was the model that they followed when they were trying to do this back in 2017 and 18. And if you listen to the the things that Pat Murphy is saying out of camp this year, he is talking about guys being outgetters again. And that was something Craig had kind of gotten away from. Craig wasn't talking about that as much anymore because because of the fact they had Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta, they were running a more traditional pitching thing the last few years. I think they're fine going back to the this older sort of model, I think maybe with even more guys who are going to go multiple innings out of the pen. And I think that's the solution, more so than trying to like shoehorn Freddie into a role that I just I don't know that he can physically hold up to it. Now, he's been a little bit better than I thought. I, I mean, I'm surprised. I assumed he missed more time in 2021 than he did. He actually, in 2021, uh, started 27 games, 20 uh, was in 28 games overall. So Freddie was actually better in 2021 than I thought. He only started 17, 18 total in 2022. That was the, yeah. the real down year. And then it was 30 this year. But even at 30 starts, it was 165 innings. So, he, yeah, you're just not getting too many deep starts out of him. That's nope. just not the game. That's just not who he is. Woody, of course, did have a, uh, a complete game shutout last year on September 11th. So he did that. What is it with our pitchers in September 11th lately? Because yeah. the year before it was Burns and his, or two years, wait, was it 2021? It must have been 2021 when him and Hayter had their, uh, their uh, oh, no hitter. The combined no hitter? Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So I'll have to look up this Craig guy who talked about outgetters because I forget who that was. Um, <laughs> Mark Podscarby uh, is a glutton for punishment who's already asking who's more likely to start on opening day in 2025 when we haven't had 2024 yet. Brandon Woodruff or Freddie Peralta? Ryan, do you do you have a pick? Yeah, Freddie Peralta. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go with Freddie. Freddie as well. Woodruff's just speculative. Yeah. The the guy whose shoulder is not in poor shape right now. Yeah. Yeah, right. That's, That's exactly. the smart bet. I mean, if he comes back and he's a great story and yada yada then yes, but I mean, the odds on Peralta being the best starting pitcher on the team that year are very high. So it's him. Well, and usually if you carry the team as a starter in one season, you'll get the nod for the opening day the next. They right. They typically don't jump over you then. Uh now if you said Freddie Peralta versus the field, which way are you going there? So Freddie Peralta or literally anybody else, I think I would take probably anybody else over Freddie in that case for twenty twenty five. That's a good question, actually. Uh um, well, thank you. I think I go Freddy um, because I don't see a lot of star run era parents there by 2025. Mm -hmm. I think maybe 2026 I go the field, but 2025 I still go Freddy on that. Yeah, I'm with Paul on that. I Yeah, I, I just don't see anybody that would leap over him that would be in the rotation this season. I mean, you're going to debate whether or not Wade Miley is retiring at the end of the season. It's not like he's going to come back next year and be the opening day starter. Yeah. So who else do you have? Wade Miley is going to retire. He's just going to become a pitching coach. That's just maybe they find Yuli Chassin in the offseason. <laughs> there you go. 
Wade Miley's just going to wander onto the field and they're going to adopt him into the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, games also started this week, though. If you wanted to watch on TV, you were out of luck, even though I tried on MLB TV. I was just hoping I'd run into it, but <laughs> no luck. Yeah. Uh, so far, young players have been playing quite a bit with minimal early action for the vets. What stood out so far? Guys, did you get a chance to check out any box scores? Do box score scouting? Uh, I listened to the entire game on Saturday afternoon because uh, my wife was out of town uh, having a girls weekend. So I just was like, yeah, I'll, I'll listen to this game. And it was fun. It was it was good to hear uh, the Jeff Levering, uh, Lane Grindle duo do their uh, creepy back and forth where you're not sure exactly which one's talking because they sound so much alike. Uh, so that was that was entertaining. They were pretty funny already in, in fine form uh, already. So that was good. And the top of the order was uh, they led off with Sal Freilich playing third base. And then it was Jackson Churio in center field. And then it was Tyler Black playing first base. And they all had, you know, multiple times on base. Uh, though Freilich did toot bland on the first pitch of the game, which <laughs> that was that was something he to did. listen to that. Yeah, it was they instantly. I loved it because I had just watched uh, the night before. Uh, Amy and I had watched uh, 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 Major League. So we literally like they flashed right back to they're like, yep, that was a that was very much a Willie Mays Hayes thing. So yeah, I enjoyed the offensive explosion in that game. I, I did not get to see the most recent game at all, but um, I, I mean, it, it does. I do not care about what happens yet in any of these games. Mm-hmm. Bigger sample size, better competition, etc. But at least it's fun. I like that the the frenetic trolling is good. To seeing Churio actually put together good at bats is fun so i so far those are my two big takeaways i guess to some to the very limited extent i've saw anything um but you know good to have them back and it's good to see like if they would have gotten shut out in the first game that they played that would have been sad and depressing and that didn't happen so happy about that no and and it really was the young guys who were the driving force yeah scoring all those runs today there were more veterans in the lineup and they lost 10 to 3 so uh, I mean, not really more veterans in the lineup. Like, uh, I think uh, Contreras was in there and hitting in the two hole, and he only got a couple plate appearances and then got yanked. So, well, uh, didn't he hit a bomb today? Uh, Contreras went yard. Oh, did he? I didn't even see I that saw, in the box score. I saw a highlight where, yeah, he hit a home run. I okay. didn't look at a box score, though. Mm-hmm. Love it. All right. That's, so that's there good. we go. Yeah. We'll take that back, as a win and to his move on. All star form. Yeah. Uh, PJ Wessels with the uh, question for Paul. Uh, much like preseason football, spring training baseball scores don't much matter. Nope. What instead will you be looking to judge how Cactus League is going for the Brewers? So it's really hard to get any useful information out of preseason baseball. But what you do want to look for is who gets opportunities against the opponent's uh, actual top players. Mm-hmm. Um, the last five-ish innings of any preseason any minor or yeah any spring training game are mostly just mop-up duty to get a look at guys who you know you got to take a look at sometime and it's time to now uh keep keep a look at who they give opportunities to at at the in the first four-ish innings uh guys who you might not be normally expected to hit there take note of any of any of that happening but uh that's really what it comes down to is look at who gets the tough competition and uh, pay attention to those guys specifically Yep, that is a big thing. We talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, that was something Spencer and I brought up. The other thing that I always like watching in spring training is uh, strikeout to walk ratios, because that is a 
from what people who've analyzed this, they say that that is the most useful information you can get, uh, especially on pitchers. Strikeout to walk ratios can be pretty useful and uh, uh, less so on hitters, but at least it's something. So strikeout to walk ratios are, are a thing worth keeping an eye on. Okay, we got our Patreon questions, and I'm a little disappointed, Ryan, with the way you put this uh, rundown together. It seems like we tucked some of the more interesting questions to the bottom. Okay, I, I okay. Well, let's no. go. <laughs> let's get there. <laughs> yeah. No. You just okay. You're, 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 <laughs> just just say his name, Steve. Just say his name. No, no. I, I would say we. Uh, never mind. We'll get we'll get to him later. We'll get to some of the uniform questions later. Ah, yes. Okay. Because everybody had a ball with that this week. Oh. Um, Jay Google asks, so Sal Freilich in the infield, do we need to start taking this more seriously? No, you don't. I mean, it might happen for versatility's sake, but spring training is time for trying stuff out and actually for trolling fan bases. So um, it's uh, if it happens repeatedly over and over again, sure. But no, not if one game is just kind of funsies. So that's fine. I once... Uh, uh, oh shoot! I lost my train of thought. I've seen so many people play out of out of position in spring training. It happens all the time. Uh, G Man Choi, I've seen play like four different positions in spring training, and he can't <laughs> play any positions at all. So um, just it's 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 funsies. But right now, it's still just all speculative nonsense. Yeah, I mean, it's creeping up there, but like sure, you've sure. you've gone from like you have my one percent of my interest to like five percent of my interest. Well, that's that's a big jump, but it's also still like five probably of my nothing, interest yes. right yeah so it's it, the more and more they do it the more you'll have to take it seriously but still i think that this is mostly just potentially a late game thing that they might trot out and try to do stuff that way we'll see well and whenever we have too many of something in february by april we seem to be looking for ways to plug holes so um yeah the, you're you're never overloaded at positions when you start camp nope so they can move guys around and kind of have contingency plans. But let's be real here. Somebody's going to pull up lame at some point, and we're going to have a little bit more clarity on what playing time is going to be. Uh, JD asks, is Churio on the 40-man? He's listed on Brewers.com on it, but I thought they did not have him have to add him yet, even with the big contract due to his time in the system. Did I miss something? Sub-question, of all the NRIs in camp, non-roster invitees, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, which one has the best shot to break camp with the initial 26? Okay. Well, I'm looking over that, that non-roster thing. You can find it on the, on the page there and look at all the different guys. I'm not going to read them all, but you can find the NRIs on, if you just Google uh, uh, MLB.com, the Brewers 40 man, and then you could just toggle over and it'll take you to the NRIs. Uh, so here's the deal with that, uh, JD. Back about four CBAs ago, three, four CBAs ago, uh, the MLB put a stop to this practice that players in the draft could no longer sign major league contracts um, out of the draft. They basically outlawed that and and said that uh, the reason was is that when if you did that, you had to immediately put them on the 40-man roster. And so once a guy signs a major league contract, he must be on the 40-man roster. That is the deal here. You have to immediately be on the 40-man roster. Um, I think there used to be some wiggle room on that. So that's the deal. He is on the 40-man because he had to be uh, to sign that extension. So the extension is what drives that. 
um, looking at the guy with the best chance to the question was break camp, correct? Yes. Yeah, who's got the best shot to break camp in the initial 26? Yeah, uh, it's Gosser or Black. It's Gosser, yeah. (laughs) It's one of those two, yeah. Yeah. I I think it's Gosser specifically just because um, it's very possible he will be one of the best starting pitching options, either through merit or through attrition. So I feel like it's him by a country mile, personally. Yeah, I think there's just there's room for Black to potentially uh, hit his way onto the team as well, though. So yeah, there's there I think both of those guys have have a shot. I, yeah, I would say pitching tends to you know be a little bit more uh, well injury prone. So I think there's there's more of a chance for Gosser, but I'd, I'd give Black a pretty decent shot too. Okay, uh, Steve S. S. It seemed for years all I heard about was how the Mets were going to covet David Stearns. Now that he's finally gone, while I hear conversation about what he's doing in New York in terms of signings, I don't hear much about how different we perceive the Brewers' strategy without him. Do you think if he was still with the Brewers, they would have done something notably different this offseason? If so, what and why? And if not, what does that say about the organization overall? I don't really think it would have been that different. Um, it, this is a very standard Brewers offseason where they actually signed guys like Hoskins with some regularity, like that level of free agent. Uh, they make trades like the Burns trade with some regularity. Um, there's been plenty of spaghetti uh, thrown as well. So um, uh, the big, the only thing that's a little bit different than normal is their farm system is a little bit more mature. And there's, I think, more opportunity for guys, you know, plus Churio, who will make the team because he's getting paid, to to crack the roster. But a lot of that was built under Stern, so that's not even different either. So um, I feel like the organization has a philosophy. They, you know, they've promoted from within at a lot of those positions to keep that philosophy rolling, and it really is the organization that runs the system at this point. And um, the guy at the top, as long as he is from, you know, a disciple of that system, that's how it's going to continue to run for the foreseeable future. Yep, I would agree down the line with all of that. I think that this is about how they want to run things at this point. This is the the direction that like Atanasio and the the upper management of the team, this is the direction they want to go and they are putting people in place that is going to do th- to run things in that way at this point. I think that's pretty clearly true and I don't know that uh like as far as like individual things the one big thing that i i'm going to be watching especially in this year's draft is do we see a continuation of last year which was getting away a little bit from the brewers uh what they had been doing under sterns for quite a while in terms of drafting was really going hit tool over everything and then obviously they broke out of that with wilkin this year was that an aberration are they going to go back to sort of valuing the hit tool over everything the way they were or is that or are we seeing a difference of opinion in how uh, matt arnold wants to run things so that i will be watching but i don't think we could even say for sure that that is an actual change it's just something that was a little bit different worth noting last year well, and if they see, you know, what's happening with the offensive players and the minors, they had some time to figure out, like, oh, we need to kind of change track here. Yeah, yeah. Th- you know, that was part of it. Yeah, and they, so I mean, they there was because there was a slow transition from Stearns to Arnold. Oh yeah, 
Definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in terms of that. Uh, yeah, I thought you were going to say there was a slow transition from Melvin to, to Stearns in terms of getting their their drafting under, which would be absolutely true. Like, they, they had bad drafts early on, though they also did draft Corbin Burns in David Stearns' first draft. So, like, it wasn't a complete disaster, but they had some bad hitting picks early on. Yeah. So, uh, Keith Keskinen. Uh, he's got some numbers here he's throwing out for a payroll question. Um, according to Fangraphs, the Brewers have an average estimated payroll of 124 and a half million between 2019 and 23, with a peak of 137 and 22, and a valley of 103 in 2021. Their current estimated payroll is sitting at 115 million dollars. Hypothetically, if they structured a Chapman deal, I assume he's talking about Matt Chapman here. Mm-hmm. Uh, deal similar to the Hoskins deal at two years for $42 million that pays out 15 and 24 and opt out for 22 million and 25 and a mutual option for 22 million, 26 and a $5 million buyout. Yikes. <laughs> Their estimated payroll would be sitting at 130 million roughly for the 2024 season. This is the number they have exceeded in two of the last five years and we'll put them 19th in MLB between Seattle and Washington. Is this unreasonable for the Brewers and Chapman, a Boris client like Hoskins? Could they possibly get this done? I, to me, it seems like years are more of an issue for Chapman. Yeah, I mean, if a deal like this could have landed Matt Chapman, Matt Chapman would have been signed, I think, months ago. So they're still looking for more than this. I definitely would have especially said, uh, no way, no shot, no how, that this like this was a drastic undershoot and then i saw what uh, cody bellinger signed for in the dead of night last night and now i'm going hmm i wonder what exactly chapman is going to end up with in this market because bellinger signed a deal that's not that dissimilar to this it's just the money is you know considerably more but the structure of it where it's you know, Bellinger got a basically a three-year, $80 million deal, but he has opt-outs after both years. And it's one of those deals where, again, if he's good, he'll just opt out and will go and become a free agent again. It's only if he's bad do you, the Cubs get, you know, end up with him for, you know, 2025 and 2026. Yep. So there's a lot of that going on in baseball these days. We've noted it on this pod before. There's a lot of that going on. I still think this is undershoot. I would take the uh, the over on that on this. I would say he's going to get more than this, but that Bellinger thing did kind of a little splash of cold water to that theory. Well, and every day he's outside, he gets cheaper. Like mm-hmm. they're moving things along here. Suitors are going to start to drop off. Competition for his services is going to start to drop off, and that drives prices down. Like this, it's getting to the point where the Brewers strike deals sometimes, and. Um, I, I still think he'll do better than this, but I thought for sure he would get much, more, much, much, much more than this like a month ago, and I don't think he will anymore. I think he's going to be one of the disappointing contracts when it gets signed. Yeah, I mean, rumors were he was looking for six one fifty, and that's what MLB trade rumors pegged him as getting coming into the offseason. But then yep. again, they also had uh, Jordan Montgomery pegged for six one fifty, and they had Cody Bellinger twelve and two fifty two. And he ends up with three for 80. So, yeah, it's this is not the this has not been the bull market for players that, uh, you know, this has not been the player market that it was uh, in the last winter. This has been a much, much more restrained market in terms of uh, spending, 
your Shohei Otani's aside? I mean, is this partially due to the kind of unstable nature of their media contracts with Bally's not being a reliable partner for a lot of these teams right now? I mean, that's about half of baseball that has a Bally's contract that nobody's really sure how much longer that thing's going to run. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Yeah, for sure. It's part of it, but there was a lot of uncertainty at this time last year also, and there was a lot more money flowing around the game. I think the bigger factor in why it's down this year versus last is last year was the first year of a new CBA, and traditionally the first year of a new CBA, uh, teams go hog wild. Also, last year's free agent market was better than this year's free agent market. Yeah. That that also does factor in some. Yeah, well, and also the, the Bally stuff, I think the rubber's actually hitting the road there where – we're mm-hmm. finding out what's legitimately going to happen as opposed to the speculation we had still last spring. Um, Mark Podscarby uh, says, I saw this going around last week, so I wanted to ask you guys. I know the three of you are against free agent deadlines in MLB, but I also think it's fair to say that by most opinions, MLB has the worst and slowest offseason of the three major sports. How and what are the solutions that MLB could implement to fix this? I just think this is not a problem at all. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. There's no reason at all to fix this. Player acquisitions, especially if, like if you want to make the draft a big party like the NFL does. Like I know that baseball's draft will never be that for a variety of reasons, but you could probably do something. It's a set event, etc. Um, free agency is not that at all. Like there's no way to have a big show about it or anything like that. This is not a problem that needs fixing, and it, there should not be a fix to it because it would be anti-player by its nature. So, um, to the extent people talk about it as a problem, that is usually the the underlying reason, unspoken often for it. Um, but it's not a boring off season when stuff happens; it gets reported, and it's exciting for the time period that it gets reported as exciting, and it's as exciting as any of the other sports, and it dissipates as quickly as any of the other sports. So this is nonsense. Yeah, I just yeah, I also disagree with the premise of the question because I don't think they have the worst and slowest off season of the major sports. All the free agency gets done in my understanding, Paul. Correct me if I'm wrong here. In the NFL and in NBA. Most of the free agent action happens right after the the uh, the flag drops or whatever they do to to open the season. Most of the big action happens really quickly in a, in a short time window, and then there's nothing else. There's just silence. And baseball yeah. has this thing all winter where it's usually there's there's guys signing and there's interest, and it's it, it sort of keeps generating. Uh, interest throughout the winter. I think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't understand why it's how it's even perceived as a problem, except by owners who would like to, again, implement the deadline so that they could, uh, you know, do what they did. We saw a little bit of what a deadline kind of looks like, even though it wasn't a hard deadline back in 2021 in December of that year when the lockout was coming. Remember, there was that big flurry of activity right before the lockout because a lot of guys just wanted to like go into the lockout knowing where they were they were going to be going. Yeah. So they didn't have to come out and then take care of their business after that. There was a big flurry of activity. And I think owners saw that and said, ooh, we would love to be able to do that. And that would be great for us. And so they're using these this, the Boris 4. I guess now we're down to the Boris 3. Yep. Um, that always leaves up uh, uh, Martinez. So whatever. Anyway, uh, I think it's it's just 
like this is clearly an attempt by the owners to suppress the market for players and they, they already have way many 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 ways of of turning huge profits they're all hugely profitable so screw them they don't they don't need well, this and also one of the reasons the NFLs is debatably more entertaining is because you have cap casualties which you mm. don't in other sports because a lot of NFL contracts have a partially fake portion of them. They have an inflated base salary at the end of the contract that teams never intend on paying that causes those players to be cut more frequently. It, that puts more guys artificially into the free agent pool because their contracts are BS. So, I mean, that would also increase maybe the interest in free agency but that would be a terrible idea. The NFL contracts are extremely stupid they're in, in how they're crafted and how they work. So nobody, like, nobody should copy that. It is awful. Yeah, it's fake money in a lot of cases. And baseball does seem to be heading a little, we were just talking about it, heading a little bit in that direction with all these, you know, mutual options that are never going to be, uh, that are never, you know, going to be exercised and all that stuff. But still, basically, because baseball doesn't have the cap, the players have, more room and more power. And that's why they will never accept a cap uh, as long as they can, you know, as long as they still have that choice, they're not going to accept it. Okay. Adam Post asks, did you ever have a dream where you were standing in front of your class about to give a speech or presentation, but then you look down only to notice you aren't wearing any pants? Why does it feel like MLB wants the players to feel like this every game this season? <laughs> You want to go first, Paul? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, this is a classic anti-competitive reaping what you're, you sow situation where there is one manufacturer now who makes the authentic gear and the actual um, team gear itself. And it's not as good because it is the only game in town. If you want an authentic jersey, it doesn't have to be good. That's what you have to buy. Um, and and quality and things like that go to garbage when that is the situation in any industry. Um, the jerseys this year, aside from being see-through, are also less customizable for the players. Um, they are, there's, it's still an open question as to actually whether they're thinner, although the material is different. They look cheaper. Um, they, the numbers and lettering and whatnot is all wonky and not as high quality as it was. And that it's literally just because there's no reason to make it better. They can charge the same amount of money that they did before in team stores for it. If you want an authentic, that's what you have to pay. And uh, it is what happens when you get rid of competition. Yeah, this is it's a wild situation because I keep hearing different things where it's like originally they were talking about whose fault really is this? And everybody blamed fanatics. And Nike has certainly been ducking and letting fanatics take the blame for it. Yes, they have. But it also sounds like a lot of this is on Nike in terms of how they were planning to do things. And there's also things about how uh, like the, the translucent pants, uh, people are showing old pictures for the last few years. And apparently translucent pants aren't really new. They've been around for a while. It's just, uh, they're maybe using different fabric now, and so it's it's a different effect, and so it's it's a little bit different that way. But this, yeah, the whole thing is just a big, big example of like how big organizations that are you know like a ten billion dollar industry, ten twelve billion dollar industry, how do you screw this up this badly and just end up with egg all over your face? Uh, 
people had to have been paying attention to this and seeing it coming. Like, there's a bunch of people whose jobs this is at MLB to worry about stuff like this. And apparently everybody was asleep at the switch and not paying any attention. And this should have been caught so far ahead of time. And it makes you just go, what the hell are they doing? If, if, if this is how bad they're screwing stuff up, like, just who is, who is watching the store here? Yeah. And I, I, I literally, I'm so mad at myself because I was going to do this. Um, I was going to make a Twitter joke that baseball was surely soon to pass a rule prohibiting anybody from giving Meredith Wills an example of an old jersey and a new jersey. And then she literally started looking for examples of old jerseys and new jerseys like 15 minutes later. And I was like, God dang it, I missed my chance. So um, hopefully that happens because you're right. There are some pictures that do look embarrassing from older eras. Um, including last year, it does. Uh, I think the lighting is the big question now. Studio lights started to get some blame, and then people started posting just pictures of people in the sun where you could still see through, and mm-hmm. uh, it it looks pretty bad. I, I think I think there's a difference. Yeah, I was watching a bunch of baseball while I had the Brewer game on the radio. I was I had various games on, and at one point when the uniform thing came up on the Brewer broadcast, um, somebody mentioned something. I was like, oh. I hadn't even noticed it in the game. So when you're watching it on TV, it doesn't pop. It, yeah. it didn't. I didn't notice anything. I wasn't like, oh, this this looks really embarrassing. No, they Ma- just look Ma- like Ma- uniforms. Did that out effectively wild on, on Kurt's episode, which you shall go listen to. Um, that at TV, it seemed to be okay, but it was you know still undignified to make them do it anyway. <laughs> sure. Yes. It's just well, how does this happen? This is so it, it's so basic. Like, how do you end up? with just such an embarrassing situation like this. And like you said, it's monopolistic crap. It's, yeah. you know, it's, this is what monopolies get you. You saved five cents on uh, a uniform. Good work, everybody. Well, there's a uh, roof over AmFam Field, so you won't have to worry about like a wet t-shirt contest breaking out while they're playing in any games this year. So <laughs> it's still safe for families. Unfortunate, but true. <laughs> Paul hates families. Uh, <laughs> put that in the title. Yep. <laughs> okay, Lucroy suitcase. Which Brewers players are you most excited to see in the translucent pants this year? <laughs> uh, Boy, sure wish they had G-Man back now. Um, what is... Man, <laughs> now Paul's, Paul's legit giving this thought. Yeah, he's yeah. trying to come up with the right answer for it. I feel like they don't have any obvious candidates anymore. They've lost. I mean, Joe, Joey Weber already wore some pretty tight pants. He did. So, he did. I mean, I, I think he's he's going to be he's going to be out there for the ladies. Probably year. the ladies' choice, I would say. And you know, good on him for it. Tighter well, swing, tighter pants. Usually we have a rowdy for an obvious answer. We don't anymore, so it's uh, I think a little trickier than it normally is. Um, not not really sure. Uh, we need to pick. We need to acquire somebody else. For I this. say who's who's a thick boy for the uh, ladies here this year? Yeah, who is like? It, it's probably Hoskins. Is probably the thickest brewer now. Is that who would challenge there? Ryan, we're looking to you for this. Yeah. Stop giving us a blank stare like you don't know. I think no. he's looking at the roster the same I as I am. He's looking at photos. <laughs> no, I was looking something up because somebody, I think Mark Canna is the guy who has the reputation as having a really good butt. The the uh, the people that are, are the appreciators of men's butts. Oh, his, 
I think his stance gave you a little bit of a Ned Flanders vibe. Is that what it was? There was the yeah, yeah. That's kind of what it was. Stupid, sexy Canna sort of situation. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah, but I I think that that was the thing. Uh, I I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure that there was something about that. So maybe we missed our opportunity if we had Mark Canna still on the roster. Yeah. He would be the answer to this. But now thickest brewer is Bryce Wilson. Um, I have now got their measurements. Uh, He is listed (laughs) at six two two sixty seven. Which seems really big. Uh, Bryce Wilson is big, but I didn't know he was that big. So um, that's probably your answer if you're just interested in pure size. Gary Sanchez is probably the smart man's bet here. Uh, aside from being a catcher, assuming the catcher's position, he's also a six-two-two thirty. Uh, I feel like that's probably maybe the, the real answer here. There you go. Paul says Gary Sanchez swings the biggest piece of lumber on the team. Well, we'll find out if it's true or not. So, <laughs> um, so I, I just did go look this up. This is a much older list than uh, whatever. But the best butts in baseball, um, this is from a few years ago. Uh, Brian Braun is on here. John Jay, weirdly, on here. It's a lot of the actually the superstars of the era. So like Bryce Harper, Anthony Rizzo, Evan Longoria, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, Joe Maurer, uh, Buster Posey. Like I said, Ryan Braun, but then John Jay randomly ends up on here. So when it's a, a not famous person that ends up on the list, apparently uh, that's Cardinals fans, right? That it might be. Yeah, it, it very much could be. Oh, yeah. and they're using the um, the Bob's Burgers gif here in the article that I clicked on. So that's that's great. As they should. All right. John, John Jay, of course, uh, was there for the first six parts of the butts article and then had to drop out because he got sick. <laughs> If you understand that joke, good on you. Yeah, Price Trozen. On a scale of one to five, with one being a Sunday morning drive over the Hone Bridge and five being uh, trying to get out of Alpine Valley after a fish show, how big of a clusterfuck or boondoggle if you haven't cussed yet? (laughs) (laughs) I guess I should have run Thanks, Rob Burgundy. Do you think the new parking system will be on opening day? So, yeah, the new parking system, it's a an all-digital parking system at AmFam Field where you pay through the app or you scan a QR code when you get there and pay that way. So, uh, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be difficult. But I, hold on. Should we first explain Alpine Valley parking? And how you I mean, actually do Alpine Valley? Yes. You guys should. Yeah. yeah, okay. So, the first thing is when John Mayer starts playing an acoustic version of Touch of Grey or Red right Up the Hill. Yeah. Yeah. You get up the hill right away. And then once you get to your vehicle, you hit the the like outside of the lot. You don't go down the main aisle. You hit the like far side, which is only kind of an aisle. But if you do it quick enough, you can get through there. And we usually get from Alpine back to the outskirts of Milwaukee in 20 minutes. Every mm-hmm. show. Yeah. The, the key is you start walking up the hill during the encore break. That is the key. You get to the top of the hill and watch. Encores always suck. So just go get to the top of the hill for the encore. And then as soon as that happens, you're good to start walking. You're in front of the whole crowd. You get out to your car. And like Steve said, you get to the edge of the lot. You zoom out that way. And uh, yeah, we never run into traffic problems. I can't remember the last time. It's only been if we just didn't care about getting out. And I have maintained that encores were not worth like the extra effort for a while. It and I actually got Ryan on board with this as well because mm-hmm. I, you always had the feeling that like you're going to miss like the best part of the show. I'm like nobody does the best part of the show in the encore. They aren't saving anything. Yeah, it's very for the stuff we see. It's very rare that like the the encore ends up being like 
some sort of special thing. It's, you know. Yeah, I mean, I was, I remember being at Alpine. It was like 25 years ago now. I was working at Alpine and um, Creed was playing Alpine Valley. And there's this lady next to me who was screaming all day, all night long, play higher, play higher. And obviously they, they left the stage, came back and, you know, went into higher. And I think she drunkenly rolled down the hill at that point. We're like, yeah, no shit. Of course they're going to play higher. Now we just need the like sky gliders with them over the stage to really make this thing complete. Yes. <laughs> the, Heck yeah. the Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> that was the all time greatest halftime show ever done. Um, so anyways, the new parking system, Paul, are you worried about the new parking system? Because what I see people com- worry about is that there will be people that go and park and then don't pay for parking. Yeah. And I don't know why they're worried whether or not the, uh, brewers owners or whoever runs the lots and mm-hmm. AmFam field gets paid for parking. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm a one on this for that reason. I think, um, if you don't read carefully or think about it carefully, what you would maybe worry about is people uh, not being able to use the app and slowing down your entrance to the parking lot. However, that's not how this works, and it won't be a problem. Um, it might be a problem for some people once they've parked, and they may get tickets or fines or whatever if they can't figure this stupid thing out. But everybody should just roll right in because you don't have to stay, wait in line to pay somebody money uh, to actually get into the stadium. So um, – there may be problems, but the problems won't impact you, provided you know how to use an app properly. And so that's fine. Yep. And people in Milwaukee who regularly park in like downtown spaces in Milwaukee know how to do this because they've been doing it for years on their mobile apps anyway. So, yes, for anything that at this point in Milwaukee, if you have a a, a parking space that is governed by a uh, a, a a meter then you've been using that that app for years so i don't think it's going to be as bad as people think it's going to be i don't think it's going to be a problem at all well and like paul said it won't be bad for anybody driving in and parking like you will drive in you will park in a spot it will be fine fine. yeah will you struggle to scan a qr code potentially you know but like i said the people who i think worry about like well are people going to pay i'm like i don't care i don't care yeah it's yeah. not my money i'm not you know getting any of it it's not like i'm going to lose anything out of it i don't care if the brewers get money or not from people for parking so you know yeah. that's their deal they must feel confident about actually being able to both pay get people to pay and uh enforce it yep. and if you're worried about it I, you know there's plenty of bars that run shuttles mhm that there are so go and, you know, basically Milwaukee is a beer district. We don't need one right at the stadium <laughs> because it exists everywhere and you can just take a shuttle in. Uh, P.S. Spencer's Elvis Pagueros take was spicy. You guys have a great you guys have great pinch hitters when the regular lineup is doing load management. I think he means you, Steve. Well, Spencer specifically, but also you. Oh, well, when he said Spencer, I took that as a compliment for me anyways. Did you? Yeah. Well, yes, of course. Yes. It's all about me, man. It's all about me. I will point out you did stumble over your words there when you were reading the compliment of yourself. I'm sure I did. Okay. here. Uh, this Tricky Henderson question is a good one for Paul. Yep. I'd really like to make a tribute to Devin Williams set to Cheap Trick Surrender, but as Airbender. Is this wise? Not in terms of my time management and priorities, 
But as a fan, do you think he'll be around long enough for the tribute to be worth it, at least until July? Thanks, as always, for well-done podcasting and the hottest of rivets. I think you're good, but you gotta you got to hustle a little bit. Um, there is definitely some risk at the trade deadline, but I think Devin will be around for the season. So it's worth it. It uh, Have you thought about what the whole song is going to be, though? Like those words rhyme, but man, that's that's a tough ask. I feel like um, that, but I don't know. I, I look forward to hearing it. So get on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is definitely your thing. Uh, I it did start me thinking about Cheap Trick, which uh, I've seen Cheap Trick play a lot because me too. every single summer when I was working at Summerfest, I worked the the main stage there for like six years, and every summer they got added to some bill late. So I think they were there like five of the six years, usually uh, opening up for somebody whose tickets weren't selling very well um, is how they ended up uh, in there. I, I must have seen them like five times in there. Or yeah. did, they, did they have the Steve Miller slot when somebody drops out and then somebody else drops out and they're desperate to fill one uh, headliner on the amphitheater? They were usually not a headliner. They were usually like a yeah. co-headliner or an opener okay. for somebody. Yeah, it was usually more of that than anything else. Saw them on my first date with my wife, opening for Stone Temple Pilots. Really, Cheap Trick really? opened at for the Coliseum STD? in Madison. Yep. Really? Wow. Yeah. When was that? Nineteen ninety-four. That would have been ninety-six. Oh, so this wasn't on the Purple Tour. This 97, is ninety-seven, the... maybe. Okay, so this is on the Tiny Music uh, Tour, not the Purple Tour. I think it was the Purple Tour. I'm pretty sure it was. Because that would have been. Well, that was no. 94. That that was Tiny Music. That would have been the Lady Picture Show and all those songs. Yeah. In ninety-six. I remember that. I was in high school at that time. I remember All right. that era. Yeah. I don't think they I don't think that like we had like Big Bag Baby on that show though. I think it was before that. Tripping hmm. on a hole in a paper heart. I don't think so. I think it was purple. <laughs> this really has turned into a JR podcast now. Yep. There we go. Yeah, but yeah, maybe they were maybe it was right before they released the album. It, it could have been, been at that time. I'm surprised they would have been touring though. It seems like getting a what's his name? Scott Wyland out there would have been a chore if there wasn't like a real need for it. Yeah, I never saw Wyland. I never saw STP. Uh, that that's a a hole in my uh, <laughs> bands I have seen. They were good, by the way. Put, put on a good show. They were not too drunk, or other things, or other things in the case yeah. of Scott Wyland. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's good. It, yeah, it seems like a, a thing that would have been worth seeing. I remember uh, that was one of the first like CDs that I owned when I got my first CD player. Uh, I got STP's core. I got Nirvana's Nevermind. I got Pearl Jam's Ten. Those were the the initial CDs yep. that I got. After, I think the, that, well, after that, they'd come out, actually. That that was assigned to teenage boys that were trying hard at that time. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yep. Tiny Music was, was March fifth, nineteen ninety six. So they 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 definitely were touring on that. That man, I don't remember any of the songs played live. That's weird. That was so, such a weird album compared to the first two. It was. I so, like it pretty well. I think it's a good album, but it is very different. It was it was STP going more glam mm -hmm. than the yeah. the grunge sound they had earlier. So. so okay, so you remember like your first CDs that you got, but a question, do you remember the last tape that you got? Like the last cassette tape that you bought? That's a good question. I um, got Hootie and the Blowfish's cracked rear view on cassette. Did you? Okay. Yes. You'll love mine, Steve. You'll absolutely love mine. Uh, uh, mine is the Division Bell. I can tell you that. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, that's uh, <laughs> Gilmore-era Floyd. <laughs> um, 
which that was better than uh, the previous one, the other uh, Gilmore uh, Floyd album, the one from like 87 or whatever. Uh, no, mine was the spaghetti incident, Steve. Was the oh, last, nice. That was the last one. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know how much I ever listened to it because I think I got the CD player relatively soon after that. And that was it. Like, yeah, no more of that. I think I had I had that I have that one on CD somewhere, and I think it was basically like, well, I, I have the rest of these GNR albums. Hey, there you go. Paul's holding up uh, uh, Stone Temple Pilots there. Okay. I thought I had the ticket stub in there. I do not. Oh, yeah. I'm also a ticket stub collector. Should we land this boat? I guess we will. Yeah. That's enough of middle-aged men being middle-aged. Sure is. <laughs> do we have new patrons this week? We do not. Nobody new joined this week. So, well, If you are listening, don't be afraid to sign up. Again, season starting. Great time to jump on. And uh, as a reminder, if you sign up to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate, get question priority, get uh, any other extra podcasts and stuff you guys going to do anything else this year for it have you thought about it plans for the year <laughs> other little extras um we'll definitely have a combine mini pod we will definitely have a regular re for that too there will be a, a bunch of draft mini pods for reporting as eligible uh when the draft rolls around so you can sign up and still get those when i've got my metrics all run for quarterbacks and receivers already and this year, I'm adjusting wide receivers for the quality of the quarterback play behind them. So that'll be fun, too. I saw you taking your C.J. Stroud victory lap today, and that's well-earned. I remember you talking about C.J. Stroud for years now, like, yep. as being a thing. So you earned that victory lap. That guy was definitely wrong because you were calling that one out and saying yep, yep. he was going to be good. So, Yeah, yep, yep. I uh, like that one a lot. There were more in Bryce Young dissenters than I think are commonly understood because he was so tiny and... Um, his arm is so not good that uh, people who thought about it did not like him as much. Even the team that drafted him um, didn't all want to draft him. So yeah, they even had that. Did he have small hands as well? Is he a small hands guy? That's a good question. He's so small overall. I'm not sure. Like Nobody paid attention to how big his hands were because they just made sense. Mm, okay. I, don't, I do not know. You know, I don't think he ran at the combine. I'm not sure I have measurements for Bryce Young. I'm not going to be able to look it up before this podcast ends, but I will, I will try. It was a topic of conversation. Small hands was a topic of conversation on one of my soccer podcasts this week. So they were talking about the NFL in specific, that it was a big thing. And all the guys were like, oh, well, I suppose you'd really have to have you want to have quarterbacks with big hands, huh? That's right. And yeah. I was like, yep. That, that does make it does sense. matter a lot. Yeah, the guys who have small hands fumble a lot. It's crazy. His hands are um, they are small, but for his size, they're not too bad. He has 9.75 inch hands. That's that's pretty big, actually. That's bigger than a lot of much larger players' hands. That shouldn't be a big problem for him. The problem with Bryce Young is his arm is bad and he's short and slow. So, <laughs> other than that, though, everything yeah. is great. <laughs> bad Sounds arm, like short, and slow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like those are things that are important for quarterbacks. So, <laughs> way to go, uh, Carolina. Way to go. Yep. So that'll do it for this week. Uh, James should be back next week. We'll back. You'll be back on track. Regular crew. I think so, yes. I think. I think so. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. So, uh, anyways, check back next week for Milwaukee State.
Hold on, 57. Hold on, let me do the old old person. I got to adjust. How do I embiggen the letters so I can read it easier? (laughs) Uh, For you, 